Now for Stone with another edition of Stone's Throw today is Tuesday, March 22nd, 2011. 2011. Ah, Gertrude Stein used to say, an Irish lady can say that today is every day. <laughs> anyway, it's always the same day, century after century, one damn day after another. The same damn day over and over. Anyway, somebody said, the past isn't dead. Hell, it isn't even past. We build on the ruins, you know. Old wine, new bottle, new bottle, old wine, whatever. Now, I, for one, am in love with the past. These days, <laughs> the present overwhelms me. It's too much for an old lady. Just too much, folks. I listened to the program uh, just before me. <laughs> And I thought to myself, we can solve the problem of overpopulation. No sex for a hundred years. Problem solved. You know, keep it simple, folks. What I want is the past that never was. You know, I close my eyes when I go to bed at night and I just take a time travel back into the... Uh, the wonderful days that never were. Um, I grew up on historical novels, and uh, I remember I got a shock, an existential shock, when uh, Gore Vidal and Orson Welles explained to us that the only education that children are getting now is movies, movies and books. Uh, school, I don't think so. I know two history majors, and their history is cockeyed. Anyway, I think of uh, today's Africa. How about North Africa? Right. How many people remember Ronnie Reagan in the 80s? Uh, that was just yesterday. Remember Ronnie saying that uh, Colonel Gaddafi was, quote, the mad dog of the East. Then he proceeded to bomb uh, Colonel Gaddafi's home, killing uh, a little baby daughter. I remember Gaddafi's wife uh, cursing the Reagan household, the Reagan family. Uh, yes, for all time. And I thought maybe, maybe... She looked like a Mediterranean goddess there. Maybe there's something to the old, um, to the old religion, uh, these days. Most of the people that I know, well, you know, they, they try, uh, but, uh, here in the West, uh, a lot of people still think that Africa is the home of Tarzan, or anyway, Meryl Streep, say, or Robert Redford in Out of Africa, or the first movie I remember that stuck with me was Cry the Beloved Country, that's uh, South Africa, the one with James Earl Jones and Richard Harris, the father of the black community and father of the white community, very, very, oh gosh, not romantic, um, uh, 
Mm, I remember this, yes, and then I remember being so upset because one of my favorite actresses, Wendy Heller, right, is uh, is pregnant and she's nearly killed by the Mau Mau. Remember, I, I just got so upset because they got some things right, but mostly no, mostly I just went nuts because of all of the distortions mm, after Dr. Rose. A ragtime when that movie came out, I just threw up my hands and gave up. Now, I know that I wasn't a fly on the wall and I don't know what things were really like, but I honestly believe that today's filmmakers are getting better. Maybe not getting to the truth, but finding a truth here and there. Uh, you know, I know it's all fantasy and fable, but there's some kind of verisimilitude. Uh, I know most of it's because they do the research. Every time I turn around, they're doing more research. Uh, then they give up and make uh, crap. But uh, the authentic portraits of human beings in a different time, <laughs> they're trying very hard, you know, to get the teeth teeth, rotten teeth, that that gives you a sense of history. I know that this isn't isn't exact. It's not a uh, uh, an exact art. But my feeling is that even even when the uh, even when the writers play around with the ideas of the past, the fiction, the fiction sometimes gets closer to the truth. You know how that is, metaphor Metaphor is meaning, meaning, uh, we get to the essence, the essential ideas. Uh, other times, what was it we used to say when I was an actor? Uh, I remember the uh, director saying, oh my dear, he said, you do not have an antique heart. He said, you do not have an antique heart. He said, you, you reek of irony and modern times. I said, well, I don't think irony is anything new. Anyway, the language itself keeps evolving and changing and morphing. Uh, visual language is, what is that? Uh, who was it? Huxley said that, he said, we need education in visual language. He said, visual language is education in the non-verbal humanities. That one chokes me, right. Of course, um, I'm 77. So for me and my generation, I think that words stay warmer longer, written or spoken. You know, you can carry them around <laughs> in your wallet. Uh, if I'm locked away in a dark cell, I could still say the words, the lines, even sing the poems. But today, I do want the pictures as well as the print. Cinema is the art form that gives it to me. You know how that goes. Sound makes the sense. Aha, yes. A spoken word. Oral art. That sensory stuff. I remember saying once that I like to practice uh, breast reading. You know, like breastfeeding, if you read to the child at the breast, then the the words, the sound, the auditory sensations, you know, they become sensual. 
and then kids love the the sound uh i think maybe these days most children don't begin to study language until they're in school and that spoils everything school is not a place uh for emotions <laughs> this week this week i i was watching a greta garbo picture black and white classic uh fabulous feminist picture queen christina one of my favorite oldies you know the story of a swedish queen somebody who followed her bliss <laughs> and then i thought no 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 that movie spoiled for me because i saw uh another picture with liv olman and peter finch i think he played the pope now that was a completely different spin on queen christina's choices and motives and i thought well hollywood you know hollywood in the 30s and 40s that was the height of the romantic era uh <laughs> demon lovers everywhere so i thought maybe that period is over and done with it's coming back by the way the brontes are making a comeback i haven't seen the new jane Eyre, but i can hardly wait uh anyway i think that we have uh strange ideas about romance the uh 19th century romantics uh well i i guess i don't want to say i've outgrown them because i think the definition of romance has changed uh i was looking what was it uh last night uh the president has gone to latin america so i switched on a movie by oliver stone called salvador one of the very first films made by oliver stone it's a kick in the gut it's really really painful picture uh let's see james woods um savage john savage uh jim belushi very old movie and uh it it just well it's the the assassination of bishop romero and the rape murder of the four american nuns and i remember the first time i saw it i i wasn't sure that young people sh- should should be well exposed to something that horrific uh the scene when james woods takes the ring off his finger and puts it on the dead hand of the young girl the little nun that he he's friends with um she's the one who is always arriving at a strategic moment you know with the bottle of whiskey <laughs> saving everybody anyway that movie scared me badly uh it's old but uh it made me wake up to what was happening in El Salvador. Uh now this week I can't decide. I can't decide. Uh I need I need not to get rid of the old. I need to add the new. Um what I appreciate most is the fact that now movies are multi-million dollar projects and they almost do recreate another time another age uh my favorite feminist these days feminist uh image actress is kate blanchett kate with a c you know uh i was watching her play maid marian in robin hood something i i never thought i can't imagine 
I remember her best as Queen Elizabeth I. Boy, can she sit on a horse. There are shots in Robin Hood of Kate Blanchett riding a horse that are just beyond anything I have ever imagined. Uh, I honestly thought I was watching a woman living in 1199 A.D. in the Common Era, right? Okay, mucking about there in Nottingham, trying to keep a farming community alive. Uh, <laughs> the screenwriter took that old, old script and, uh, uh, what did they say, a revisionist script. Uh-huh. He gives us a world that, well, the echoes... Uh, the echoes make it feel like um, parallel to our own, you know. Dark age, here it comes. <laughs> the winter of our discontent. Anyway, we have some very medieval values now in the 21st century, in case you hadn't noticed. Women battling to save the land. Well, hold the land. They say that uh, we own, what is it, only one or two percent of the land. Uh, nothing new about all that. Uh, Kate Blanchett gives us a Marion, uh, what was it she said? She, <laughs> she was married to Robert Loxley for a week, she said. <laughs> and, uh, she had a great night and, um, the, uh, the new guy, uh, played by, um, Russell Crowe. He thinks she means K-N-I-G-H-T and she meant something else and they have a little, coy little moment but anyway uh she's practically a virgin but uh she is a mature older woman uh not middle-aged uh the first time he sees her the first time russell crowe sees her he calls her girl <laughs> she says girl anyway we see her behind the plow she looks out over her fallow fields and she says well it's nettle soup and dandelion salad. That'll keep us alive for the winter. The uh, presence of corporate Christianity is everywhere in this movie. Uh, the church has confiscated her seed for the planting. The church fathers uh, took it because they, they said that the uh, people, the farmers, should uh, repent of their sins, that that be a lesson to them right. Uh, Friar Tuck keeps bees, so he's a subversive. He makes mead from the honey, so there's a kind of underground economy. Uh, he figures an angle. You know how that goes. Uh, steal from the rich uh, to feed the poor. There's an opening scene in this new movie of Robin Hood. See, I guess it's maybe two years old now. Uh, the uh, Kate Blanchett, uh, what is that, uh, appearance, she comes barreling onto the screen, shooting her arrows. She's scaring away the boys in the green wood. They are war orphans. You remember, King Richard was off on a crusade. So, as there is in the world today, uh, there's plenty of orphans. These kids glean in the fields. Uh, they... Uh, take anything they can find, including the seeds, as it is today. You know, all the resources are being privatized. The deer belong to the king. Even the firewood is taxed. Oh, let's see, what was that movie? Beckett. 
old Beckett, right. Henry II, which one was that? I've forgotten. Anyway, uh, you would think that in an earlier time, people could kind of live off the land, but not so. There was something called the enclosures, that is when the common lands, the lands where everybody lived, were privatized. That was the beginning of the end. If you took English history in school, you will remember some of that stuff. Back in the 12th century, there was old King John. He was forced to share power with his nobles. <laughs> now, maybe that's the lesson for today, the fact that the rulers must be at least a little democratic, you know, give a little, throw a few coins. Uh, growing up, I remember that wonderful poem by A. A. Milne about King John. He's a great character in history. He was the youngest of all those sons. Um, Richard the Lionheart was the oldest and the toughest, but King John was <laughs> a bit of a wimp. Uh, what was it, the A. A. Milne poem. King John was not a nice man. He had his little ways. And sometimes no one spoke to him for days and days and days. <laughs> anyway, corporate feudalism. Uh, that's what it was back then. The pyramid of power. In this story... Robin Hood is, well, he's a Saxon yeoman. Well, no, his father was a stonemason, they say. And he's gone off to the Crusades with King Richard. Uh, Richard the Lionheart was gone for ten years, and the king is killed on his way home. And, uh, let's see, he's been murdering Muslims at a great rate. And uh, Robin, played by Russell Crowe, Robin... Uh, uh, Longstride is his name, Longstride. Robin Longstride is foolish enough to say that, uh, <laughs> that they, the Christians, had been godless, yes, in the moment they murdered innocent civilians. Now, he doesn't say it himself. He describes a Muslim girl who is about to be murdered by the Christians. And he says that in the moment that they do that, they are godless. The moment they murder innocent civilians, they are godless. And, of course, King Richard puts him in the stocks. Uh -huh. That's the scene that's playing out now in Libya, right? Anyway, yes, remember that other movie, The Lion in Winter. <laughs> Not much historical accuracy there. That was the one with Anthony Hopkins playing Richard Lionheart as a young man. You know, he has uh, uh, familial battles with his mom. That would be uh, Catherine Hepburn, right? Uh, but you can see that he wants to lead that holy war to the Middle East. Uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine, his mom, Catherine Hepburn, says to him, uh, It's 1182, and we're all barbarians. It's too true, too true. Of course, in this film, it's not 1182, it's 1199 A.D., and the English are still barbarians. <laughs> kind of like... Tony Blair, the current Christian crusader, you know, trying to crush the caliphate. Ah, the caliphate seems to be making a comeback. 
<laughs> Here we go again. In Robin Hood, one of my favorite actresses plays Eleanor of Aquitaine. Uh, Eileen Atkins. She's not a glamour girl. <laughs> but, of course, in this movie, Eleanor is uh, quite elderly. She has a nice bit with a great owl on her arm. Uh, she carries it around, you know, like a falconer. And uh, uh, I thought she was terrific. Years ago, I saw her first uh, as Virginia Woolf. Then she did the most entertaining comic turn uh, in Cold Comfort Farm. Anybody see Cold Comfort Farm? She played the maudlin mom, the one who is uh, masochistic beyond belief. Yes. And she, she finally winds up with a psychoanalyst at the end, having a wonderful time. Anyway, Russell Crowe, the Australian actor, Here's a lugubrious Robin Hood. This movie is directed by Ridley Scott. You know, the guy who directed Russell Crowe in Gladiator. There's a lot of similarity between those movies. Uh, he is very much at home here. Actually, could be a continuation of Gladiator because Gladiator, of course, was set in ancient Rome. And in this picture, <laughs> Nottingham and all kinds of uh, corners of England are full of uh, Roman ruins. Right, yes, the past is always present. The forest scenes are such awesome. Uh, I don't know what their sensual beauty uh, I even thought of. God forgive me. The the uh, wedding scene in uh, uh, Braveheart, a movie that won an Oscar. God, awful, but... The opening scenes in Braveheart had this lovely, lovely wedding of uh, the ancient um, Scotchman, yes. Uh, that was something. After that, of course, it was all Mel Gibson and a headache. Uh, uh, those Roman ruins got me this time. Uh, Gladiator had, what is that, uh, Rome uh, in its late age, but still, you know, still... Fresh, of course, my favorite uh, television series in recent years was Rome, in which you see you see everything being uh, created. Time of Julius Caesar, when Rome was a work in progress. Uh, <laughs> all those stones and bones, uh, the Romans withdrew a bit at a time, you know, but the old roads are still there. Always, if you dig deep enough, you will find the old culture. The layers are underneath there. And, of course, if you dig in the human psyche, in the old soul, there are all these layers. Uh, history piles up all this material, remnants of thought, as well as um, remnants of castles and fortifications. Uh Lots of movies lately trying to give audiences this this feeling for authenticity. I don't know, um, that series Rome was 23 hours. I'm almost ready to sit down and watch it again from beginning to end. It was a terrific soap opera, along with uh, all its other qualities. That white horse is always in there somewhere. Uh the White Horse, it's not a bar, yes, it's an old mythic image that 
course. Uh, gee, four more movies. I just don't want to list them all. Otherwise, you'll think all I do is make lists. Anyway, uh, that series made me realize that, uh, the Eastern Empire, think India, uh, looked a lot more like ancient Rome than, uh, it does today. In Robin Hood, there's something even that suggests the time of King Arthur, the Arthurian legends. Some folks say that there was a King Arthur and that he flourished, as they say, sometime in the 8th or ninth century after Christ. Anyway, whether that's a legend or reality, it's all Celtic chaos. I just love all the uh, Roman references in the movies lately. There are lost Roman legions. You remember the eagles, right? Uh, Augustus Caesar is always chasing his eagles. There's another movie about the last Roman legion that wandered off. Uh, and then, of course, there are tall tales of ladies in lakes, you know, swords in stones, magic rings. Ah, the magic ring in Salvador, too. Bloody battles. It's all one, folks. Connect the dots. Anyway, there is a hint. We see the Holy Roman Empire coming into its own, you know. Rome melts slowly into the past. Uh, most history teachers tell us that Rome did not really fall at all. It just sort of, uh, you know, did like the cookie crumbled. Uh, it did fracture west into east and then we had the Byzantine Empire hmm splendid seemed very pagan to me uh, or eastern anyway uh, I love Justinian and his wife Theodora oh more movies there you go I think of Theodora as another feminist hero she was in actual fact a uh, well she 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 got her start as a dancer. Let's let's say she was a working girl until Justinian made her a queen, or she made herself a queen. And they say that Theodora's opinions on sexual congress have lain hidden in the Vatican Library for many, many centuries. I can't even quote them here on the air. We're not allowed to talk that way, FCC Spank. <laughs> it's intriguing to learn that pagan psychology is ever-present, certainly through all those centuries when the patriarchal Puritanism, uh, you know, crushed female sexuality, suppressed it, wrapped it up in veils, and locked it in chastity belts. Of course... Before Christianity, as well as after, women were chattel. We know that, of course, women were the first slaves. That figures. Pregnancy is a disability. Uh, it also is a source of power. Some folks like to call it influence. The pagans called it mother right. In ancient societies, the trend was toward matrilineal inheritance, I mean, after all, everybody knows who his mother is. The Irish Brehan laws made certain that there were no outlaw children. You know, those bastard sons who make all the trouble? <laughs> Patriarchal law commands that families belong to a male. 
It's all about property. Of course, until Robin Hood comes along, he's a hippie. <laughs> Check it out. We have another Aussie here. Uh, what's his name? Andrew Phillips. He's our new manager. Uh, Russell Crowe and Andrew Phillips. Andrew Phillips was on the air the other day. And he said a remarkable thing. Uh, all about, what was it? All about KPFA folks getting their heads up above their navels, navels and paying attention. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you all about human rights in the Magna Carta and King John. And I guess I'll have to do it next time. Yes, my last line here says that in Latin, familia means all the slaves belonging to one Roman citizen. <laughs> That's a trip. Next time... What happens to King John? Uh, he has to submit to the will of the people. Yes, the law is liberty for every man. Every man, his own, yes, his own hearth and home. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next week at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. This spring, with the West Coast premiere of the stage adaptation of Rodolfo Anaya's classic novel, Bless Me Ultima. Bless Me Ultima is a coming-of-age story of Antonio, a six-year-old boy growing up in rural New Mexico during World War II, and Ultima, a kind curandera who befriends Antonio and helps him discover the magic and mysteries of the plains surrounding his village. Bless Me Ultima, the play, will run March 17th through April 3rd, Thursdays through Saturdays at 8 p.m., and Sundays at 2 p.m. at the Mexican Heritage Plaza in San Jose, located at 1700 Alum Rock Avenue. Proceeds from tickets sales benefit the work of this nonprofit theater group and can be purchased in person at the box office by phone at 408-294-6621 or online at www.teatrovision.org.